1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 6 to 7, and then 32 to 35. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And then from 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. To the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 6, 7, and 32, 35. Eso les digo a modo de concesión, no como un mandato. Sin embargo, quisiera que todos fueran solteros, igual que yo, pero cada uno tiene su don específico de Dios, unos de una clase y otros de otra. Quisiera que estén libres de las preocupaciones de esta vida. Un soltero puede invertir su tiempo en hacer la obra del Señor y en pensar cómo agradarlo a Él. Pero el casado tiene que pensar en sus responsabilidades terrenales y en cómo agradar a su esposa. Sus intereses están divididos. De la misma manera, una mujer que ya no está casada o que nunca se ha casado puede dedicarse al Señor y ser santa en cuerpo y en espíritu. Pero una mujer casada tiene que pensar en sus responsabilidades terrenales y en cómo agradar a su esposo. Les digo esto para su propio beneficio, no para imponerle restricciones. Mi deseo es que hagan todo lo que les ayude a servir mejor al Señor con la menor cantidad de distracciones posibles. La palabra de Dios. Scripture reading in French. Je dis cela par condescendance, je n'en fais pas un ordre. Je voudrais que tous les hommes fussent comme moi. Mais chacun tient un don de Dieu, un don particulier, l'un d'une manière, l'autre d'une autre. Or, je voudrais que vous fussiez sans inquiétude. Celui qui n'est pas marié s'inquiète des choses du Seigneur, des moyens de plaire au Seigneur. Et celui qui est marié s'inquiète des choses du monde, des moyens de plaire à sa femme. Il y a de même une différence entre la Vierge et la femme. Celle qui n'est pas mariée s'inquiète des choses du Seigneur afin d'être sainte de corps et d'esprit. Et celle qui est mariée s'inquiète des choses du monde, des moyens de plaire à son mari. Je dis cela dans votre intérêt. Ce n'est pas pour vous prendre au piège. C'est pour vous porter à ce qui est bien séant et propre, à vous attacher au Seigneur sans distraction. Parole du Seigneur. Thank you. All right, good morning. My name is, uh, who's loud? My name is <laughs> Stephen, one of the pastors of our church. Um, we are here uh, to talk about families. We started last Sunday about healthy spiritual families, and we're going to do this until uh, up to um, Easter holidays, 
And it's not just about families, all right? We will start with this because uh, families are important, and our church is all about families, and we have families, but, 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 but it's more than that. It's about, uh, you know, uh, it's about young, you know, there's a lot of, I see young families who, who have just kids, and, and that's, that's a great journey to be on. But there are also, families include, and today's message is about singles, right? You're part of the family, uh, and there's and a lot of singles who uh, want to get married. There are also singles who are going to remain single. That's part of the family. And there, there are people who were once married and not married anymore, divorcees or widows or widowers, all right? That's still part of the family of God. And not only that, but, but there are empty nesters as well. And we, well, we, we're going to get that, and we're seeing that too. Thank you. Um, so there are uh, that, that category, as well as, as well as those who are into their golden years, and uh, that's also part of family. So in other words, as you see, one of our vision is being multi-generational, all right? And that goes from infants and babies to, to grandparents, you know? And, and, and our church is not just about uh, young families or teenagers and, and, and focus on that group. That is important, but, but we have family that just spans uh, all of generations. And, and we need to care for that, that whole group. And, uh, and so that's why we have you know, of God's bringing people together so that we can, we can bless every categories of people who are in that family. And so um, that is the vision of our church in terms of multi-generation. And in a sense, from now until uh, Easter time, we're going to be focusing on the various aspects of what generations are and speak to that. So last Sunday, we started with families, all right? Get the vision of, a, vision of marriage, all right? And I hope you enjoy that, all right? Today, I'm going to go to the other side, and I also want to give you the vision of what it means to be a single, all right? Those of you, all the single ladies, anyway, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and single men, don't do that, all right? Uh, this is for you. And even for middle schoolers, I know you're like, ugh, so boring. And high schoolers, ugh, don't talk about boys or girls. Oh, yuck. You're single too, <laughs> all right? And after that, there's maybe college for you and then maybe working, whatever. If you're not married, or if you, you've been married and you're, you're in a category by yourself, you're, this is a vision for singles, all right? It doesn't mean just in the 25 to 45 age range. <laughs> it means anyone uh, who is not married. This, um, I want to speak to you guys, all right? Um, so let's see how we're going to do this. Um, so I, I feel like casting the vision, what the Bible says, and also ultimately what S-City wants to do with singles and, and bless the singles is important for you to understand, all right? Um, I want to go back to one point I made last week, which is, I think is very important. This is true for marriage, single, and everything that we talk about here. Our culture, if we don't engage it biblically and if we don't think about it, our culture has a vision for you. And if you're not cognizant of it, you are fulfilling its vision. And we talked about marriage, but guess what? For single people, uh, our, our, the culture has a very defined, specific vision for you, whether you're Christian or not, believer of Jesus or not, whether you're in church or not, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. The culture says this is what you should be doing as a single, and guess what? You're doing it. That's why this is kind of important, all right? So 
I want to do two things, well, four things. Or usually I do three things. I'm going to do four somehow today in the allotted amount of time. I'm going to give you what the culture says, uh, their vision of single free, singleness for you. I'm going to talk about that. And then I'm going to flip over and show you what the Bible's vision of singleness is. And I'm going to be real with you. And I'm also going to talk about the challenges not just being a single, but being a Christian single. The challenge that, that, that Christians have to live out the biblical vision of singleness. But I'm not going to leave you in tension because there is a solution. And that's the gospel. And that's how we always want to uh, understand how to do, the, do anything through the gospel. All right. Culture in America, we're only talking about North America, Western culture. All right, I know we're from different parts of the country, and that's fine. But if you're going to live in this country and grow up in this country, our American culture, North American culture, has a value for you. The Atlantic Magazine uh, had an article out, and it says that the average age of first marriages in the United States, if you can guess, for women is 27. And for men, the average is 29. All right, so you can kind of scale where you are from that. Now, that is important because in contrast, and 1960s, in a sense, is a golden standard, if you will, among families, because since this, ever since the 60s, all the statistics um, you know, go in a very divergent direction. And, 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 it, you can also, and also it says, um, today, I think we mentioned this last Sunday about marriage, divorce rate is, uh, you know, we hear often is 50%, all right? And, and that number is important because since 1960s, that rate has doubled, you see, uh, 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 if you contrast that. And in 1960s, uh, all the adults that you see, adults, I guess, being over 18, 75% of those people who are considered adults were married in the, in the 60s. And now, uh, it's about 50%. In 1960s, cohabitation, living with someone before they get married, it wasn't even a word. They didn't know how to spell cohabitation. They didn't understand what that word was. But now today, 70% of people cohabitate before they get married. This is the culture's value and vision. And currently, this is kind of staggering, uh, startling to me, less than 60% of the people that are born currently um, yeah, less than 60% are birthed to both parents. Isn't that something? So that's what's going on. And, and whether, whether you understand this statistic or you feel the weight of the statistics, or maybe you're just part of the statistics, you get this very strong sense that right now, you know, in 20, oh, it's 2020, in 2020, you get a sense, whether you're, you know, especially among singles, that most, most marriages... Um, are difficult and, and, and they may not be very happy. In other words, the vision, if you, just, if you, if you don't even think about it and, and, and you're a single person thinking about marriage or remarriage, you just think about that, you, you just know that marriage is not a high value. In fact, our culture has a very low retaining rate or value for marriage. That, you get a sense of that, all right? Um, I know that when I do weddings, you know, uh, the brides are in the back and, uh, you know, the bride is getting beautiful. So I don't know what goes on in there. But among the guys, you know, they're all goofing around. 
And then someone, oh, some one clown always says, um, are you sure? Uh, you know, it's not too late to run, you know. I don't know what you guys say. <laughs> of course, you won't say that, but, you know, it's like ball and chain and, you know, oh, you lost your freedom, man, you know, stuff like that. But they go, ha-ha. Well, I don't, you know, they say that in tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, I think, I think they do feel the weight of the value of what marriage is like, you know. Nevertheless, despite all this negative press and the feeling that you may have singles about marriage, um, singles do, whether you're Christian or not, they do want to get married one day. All right, they they do hope that they are the ones that's going to beat the odds, right? We all think that, and so so uh, what our culture has done was the singles have somehow come together and found a compromising way to find a compatibility of this per- person so that they will beat the odds. And there's a lot of things I could say, but but I want to say here that uh, one of the ways they found the way to do that is called, I mentioned in the statistic, cohabitation. Now, we know how to spell cohabitation because it's happening all the time. And cohabitation, you know, is, and you know, if, if I were not a Christian, or even if Jesus is not that important, cohabitation really makes sense. You know what they, you always hear? Oh, we'll save money. <laughs> or, you know, it's like, uh, I'm not sure about this guy or girl, but, you know, it's like, it's like if you want to buy a new car, you heard this? Let's just do a test drive, see how it goes. You know, if I like it, then, you know, it'll work. That's, that's the essence of cohabitation. And, um, and, and, and it makes sense. And, and like I said, in the statistics, 70% of people uh, who are single are doing that. That's just the norm right now. And so when that happens, you know, uh, uh, there's, uh, sex before marriage is just obvious, and it happens. And, um, and, just by, and, and this is not the Bible at this point, but statistics and, and people who have done studies on this have said that there are higher rates of divorce among couples who cohabitate before marriage. It just, it just doesn't work, all right? Um, and most cohabitations, in conclusion, according to a lot of the data, is that it does not lead to marriage. And, and, but, but that's the culture's vision of what singles should be doing. In every uh, city center, you see that going on. Now, I'm not here to belabor uh, a very negative view of, of singleness, marriage, and all that kind of stuff. And there's way too many stats to, to show that. But thankfully... There is a corrective to some of these alarming stats. And singles, you need to hear this. Now, it was, uh, I, listened to, I was listening to Tim, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller's talk on this one time. And, and he does this kind of talk all the time because when Redeemer first started, it was like 70, maybe 80% singles. Now I think it divided up 50-50 singles and married. But, but he, he's always talking about this because uh, these are the, just the uh, stats of the people that come to his church. And, and in his talk, what he did was he gave some correctives in some, in some of these statistics that I'm going to share with you because it's very hopeful, all right? And this is one of the things that, that he said that's kind of cool. He says, it is true that most stats do show that marriages, 50% are unhappy, and that's why they end in a divorce. But you know what the corollary is that? The reason why that is true, because out of those 50% that are divorced, they were the ones who got married before 18 years old. 
I don't know if you ever thought about that. These are the ones who met in high school, whatever, and they, didn't, you know, and they just get married. And those are the ones that marriages that don't succeed. However, he also pointed out statistics that those who, are, who get married after the age of 25, who have at least a high school diploma, divorce is small. You, you see this? It's really interesting. Surveys after surveys say those who are married longer than 25 years or longer, who have a long-lasting marriage and they stick it through, what they found out is that uh, 62% of those who are surveyed, they said the last maybe 10 to 15 years of their marriage, they, 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 they checked that they were very happy. So, so in other words, what I see in that stat is that the beginning part of marriage, especially if you're young, especially if you don't know what you're doing, it is hard. You don't know what maturity is. You don't know how to persevere. And, and that's why a lot of divorces don't last. But, but if you stick it through, there is a, there's value to that. And, of course, science also supports positive data that married people have better physical health, wealth accrual, healthy social norms. I mean, there's a lot of social factors, emotional factors, uh, physical factors for marriage. So we can go on and on. So those are, in a sense, correctives to what the culture is saying about marriages to you singles. So, so um, it's not that bad. And so as you're sitting there, it may seem conflict, conflicting, so the question is, what is the real, which vision of singleness and, and later on marriage, which vision are you going to hold? Which vision are you going to buy into? The culture's vision of how you should be as a single, or, and I'll show you what the biblical view of singleness is. Which one is going to capture you? That is the big question, all right? And that's the question I want to raise to you, those who are single, all right? So in the, and in order to do this, in order to do this, the vision for singleness in the church, it has to capture you. It has to be robust. It has to be compelling. It has to be delightful so that you would embrace your singleness and learn how to live in it. Otherwise, you know, you're not gonna, you're gonna go to the cultures, because that's the only alternative, it seems. You're gonna go to the culture's value or vision of singleness. Um, a lot of see, a lot of people in the church see single as this pitiful purgatory en route to the promised land of marriage. <laughs> that's not biblical, by the way, but, but that's, if that's your view of singleness, of course, you're not gonna stick with it. Uh, some people just look at singleness as, oh, um, slave labor. <laughs> You're single now, do this and that, okay? Or just now I can finally become a missionary. No, 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 it's not, that's not why you're single, all right? That's not, the, that's not compelling enough to embrace biblical vision of singleness. So I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. So take that out of, out of your mind. Having said all this, let's look at the biblical vision of singleness. Singleness has, believe it or not, those of you who are in high school, middle school, and everyone you know, who are single after that, it has a theological, ooh, did you know that? I love that word. But it also has a practical significance of what singleness is. And, and, and it's important because it tells you, singles, in this biblical single vision, it tells something about God, and it tells you something about what God is doing in your life. All right, I'm just setting that up, so let me uh, uh, share here. 
The biblical, the biblical Bible's view, uh, vision or view of singleness. From the big picture, there is a theological um, uh, understanding of, of what you should do in your singleness, all right? And I got this from the Together for the Gospel. They have a lot of amazing uh, blogs. And, um, and I'm, I'm going to read this to you real quick, okay? I'm going to read this to you and summarize it. It says here, singleness signifies the reality of the resurrection and the priority of the church. Singleness is a sign of God's future breaking into our present, a future characterized by radical total dependence on God. Within this reality, we're not related to anyone or anything in and of themselves, but all our relationships go through Jesus and outward. And here's the final sentence. That is the vision of the future we see in the resurrection. And I think that's the lesson, the reason Jesus promised a future in which people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, what did I just read? What I think that uh, this, this, this blogger is saying is that what this says about God and what, is he, what he's doing with single people and the vision for singleness is this, that, that God is taking singleness, not so that you can just like wait to, until you get married. No, 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 no. God is saying theological reason is that your singleness is a training ground for life after the resurrection. How you live your singleness now is a preparation for heaven. And if you look at the last sentence again, uh, it, Jesus, that, that Jesus promised a future in which people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In other words, when you're in heaven, you're single. Did you know that? All the single ladies and all the single men. That's it. If you're married now, that's great, but you're going to be single in the resurrection. I don't know if you like that or not, but that's, that's what the Bible says. Now, um, um, okay, I'm not going to go through this part, but, 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 you know, last week, if you were hearing the message, you'll say you, you heard that uh, when God created Adam, was he fulfilled totally? The answer is no. And I gave you the verse. Do I have this verse? Uh, Hank, why don't you put up um, Genesis 2, verse 18. Remember, God looked at Adam, and he says, oh, man, you're alone. <laughs> you're lonely. And I was trying to make the point that even though he had everything in the world, he had God, he wasn't fulfilling. And you're like, you know, if singleness is important, and, God is, and there's a theology of singleness, why does God say that? Adam was, Adam was single, and he wasn't fulfilled. We're, and, and there may be a tension going on right now, right? So is it better to be married or to be single? Um, and let me cut to the chase. Uh, the tension is resolved um, if you look at our verse today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Paul says, hey, listen, um, I'm, I'm going to share with you because this is the issue that was going on in the Corinthian church. Verse 7 says, I wish that all were as I myself am. And at this point, Paul was single, all right? And Paul is single here, and he died as a single man. But check this out. But as each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And, and 
if you don't read this carefully, you'll, re- you'll f- uh, skip the fact that Paul is a, Paul's a single man. And he said that is a gift of God. And, 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 and also, in those verses, if you are married, guess what? That is a gift of God. So, so the tension is resolved that if you are a single person, and if you decide that you want to be single and not get married, not for those statistical reasons, but because of your calling, just like Paul, you will be fulfilled. That's how I resolve the tension. I don't know if that's satisfying to you, all right? And a lot of you are not buying this because I'm not going to be, I don't want to be single all my life. I get it. So now the rest of the message is to you guys. Those of you who are single and you want to be married, you're in your single, uh, you're single, maybe in your teens, 20s, 40s, 60s, whatever. The Bible also has a vision for you as well, all right? Uh, what is that vision? In fact, it's the last verse that I read. Uh, Hank, put up there verse uh, 35, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. And, and as Paul elaborates, this is the conclusion. Paul says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. In other words, Paul is not saying you have to get married or you have to be single, whatever like that, like I am. He's not saying that. But he's saying this in conclusion about singleness. But, but here's the vision but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the Paul, Apostle Paul's interpretation of the, of the Bible's view of singleness. In other words, in the season of your singleness as you are, whether you're middle school, high school, young adult, older single, whatever it is, Paul's saying, use your singleness to know about yourself. Find yourself, number one, as that's paramount. Know who you are. Know your personality types. And, and in your singleness, know God as much as you can. All the time that you have, stop playing video games, right? Going shopping, whatever. <laughs> Study God. Pursue God. Devote yourself to the things of Jesus. Go to missions, all right? Do things together. Find out who you are and work together until the season of your single season is over. I think that's what Paul is saying. That's, the, that's how you enjoy your singleness. Not, you know, you know uh, in Acts 21, verse 9, do I have this? Oh, I'm getting Hank to do a lot of work. In Acts 21, verse 29, put, put Acts 21, verse 9. This is a very interesting verse. It's, it's just like a random verse, just a tiny little verse. And it's talking about Philip. You know who Philip is? He's the evangelist. He's one of the apostles. Uh, I didn't know this until I saw this again, but he was married. He had four daughters. You know what his four daughters did? Verse 9 says, he had four unmarried daughters. Okay. Who prophesied, you know? And, and uh, uh, Luke just kind of threw that in there. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. Even though it's, it's a very short uh, uh, clause, if you will, Luke wanted us to know that Philip, who is the evangelist, had four daughters, and what were they doing while they were single? Especially in the first century, when if you're young, if you're a single lady, your, your goal is to get married. But over here, what were these single ladies doing? They were prophesying. In other words, they were doing the things of God. They were doing uh, this, you know, doing God's work, spending time to serve and knowing God, you know. And it wasn't a laborious task. 
You know what it was for at least these four unmarried women who are nameless here? You know what that was? And I hope it's just for all you single people out there. It wasn't a laborious task. It was food. It was nourishment. It was something delicious. And especially those of you who are foodies, you understand uh, what, it, what it means to taste something amazing. And the reason why I say that, because even Jesus, you know what he said? Jingle, Jesus being the single, single man uh, on this earth, you know what he said? He says, I'm, I do God's work. But in verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. For Jesus, doing all the things that he did, discipleship and all that, wasn't laborious. wasn't like, oh, this is a goal I have to do. I've, the Father sent me to do this. Of course he did on the one hand, but on the other hand, he delighted in that. And he had time to delight in that. And it was his spiritual food. All right? And, and if you think about Jesus, you, you have to see Jesus because... He wasn't grumpy. He wasn't waiting in this, in this um, endless, um, oh, what is that, purgatory <laughs> to, to, ha- to have a fulfillment of something greater than his singleness. That's what Je- Jesus wasn't doing that. In his singleness throughout the gospel, you see that he was, he was content. He was happy. He was actually a very complete person that ever lived in this world, though he was a single Though he never had a child, he never had a chance to rough play with his son. He never had held a tea party with his little girl. He never laughed with uh, uh, his spouse, those inside jokes that spouses have and the intimacy they create. He never had that opportunity, guys and girls. Jesus was single in all of his earthly days, and yet he was surpassingly Hands down, the most satisfied person in this world. You see what I'm saying? So, singles, all right? And, and here's the vision of singleness, what the Bible is saying. You know, those of you don't have the gift of singleness, so that's cool. But those singles, if you want to be married, you have to understand the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, it's a gift, don't despise the gift that you have right now. Yes, you, you desire to get married, that's fine. But at this moment in your season, the Bible says, cherish that gift. Gift is precious. It's not something from Walmart or you buy cheap stuff on Amazon. No, 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 that's not a gift. You know? This is like prize. This is when God gives you something. It's a very expensive prize thing. And your singleness... It's very important, and there's a purpose for that. And I think about the stalwarts, the champions of faith. You may not know any of these names, but they're important to me because I've learned and studied under these people. Uh, Recently, a few years ago, uh, John Stott, a British theologian, he passed away. All his life, he was single, and he was able to just like volumes and volumes of books, rich stuff that benefits the church of Jesus Christ. He was able to do that. Um, C.S. Lewis, we see C.S. Lewis a lot. He was married, but his wife passed, but he remained single for the rest of his years. And of course, his legacy still continues. Uh, One of my heroes, the apologist, John Frame, um, he is a nerd and a half. Oh, gosh. 
But he was single all his life, and I love everything he writes. And of course, uh, think about Mother Teresa. I mean, these, I mean, there are so many people that I don't even know who are champions of the faith, and they're single. And, they're, and in their singleness, they're doing great things for the kingdom of God, all right? But you know what? Um, the challenges, you know, I, I, I give that to you. You're like, but it's hard. I know, and we get it. Christina Hitchcock wrote an article in Christianity Today. She teaches at the University of Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota. She wrote a book called The Significance of Singleness, and that's why she was interviewed. So I'm going to read two paragraphs of what she said, and I think this is really hits the point. She says, she talks about a woman in her church. Her name was Flo when she was young, when she was uh, at a church, uh, and when she wasn't married at that time. She remembered Flo. She said, when I was a young when I was young and immature, I had a number of horrible stereotypes about older single women. On some level, I imagined them as a lonely, as, as imagined them as lonely, a little bitter, and owning a lot of cats. No laughs. I, I figured there was a reason nobody had wanted to marry them. I mean, really, honestly, if you're honest, that's the image that we may have. But here's the thing. And flow completely exploded these stereotypes. And this is where it gets good. She was just a beautiful woman inside and out. She was smart. She was funny. She was interesting and fashionable. One more paragraph. This was exciting and attractive, partly because I felt like I was facing a life of singleness myself, which I found daunting and scary. I wanted it to be a good life, an important life, one that mattered. And flow was the full manifestation of how a life fully fixed in Christ and the church could be significant, purposeful, and fun. You see, I was so used to thinking of the perks of marriage and the negatives of singleness. She helped me flip that script and see some of the perks that I've overlooked. It's great. I wish I could read the whole book. And maybe some of you guys need to read that book. And I'll tell you um, who that person is. But what, 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 what got me about the challenges of singleness is that is attitude. The attitude got shifted. The script of the blase, the, the, you know, the, the loneliness of singleness has to turn, guys. And that's what happened to Christina, and that's what must happen to us. So what do you do then while you are single? All right? And unfortunately, most of the people who are single spend so much time adding anxieties upon anxieties. And, and if, you don't, if it, that person doesn't come along, you get bitter and so forth. And when that is the main mantra or the things that you do in your singleness, what happens is that eventually you will give up on the biblical view of singleness. You'll drop it like a heartbeat. And you would go to the culture's view of singleness. I guarantee you. That's why it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. The culture's value will get you in your singleness because you're like, this is not working. If you're seeking for that person all the time. So what do you do? If the biblical vision of singleness is right, which means it's a gift, and in the gift, you have an opportunity to know God and to know yourself. That's the gift of singleness. If you believe that, what do you do? You get busy. Don't be idle, all right? Don't just wait. 
You work, you do service, you, do, you pursue your vocation, you be the best whatever pursuit of, of, of vocation that you have. You, you figure out vision. It's a time to grow up and mature. Why is this all important? Why? Because you are actually preparing yourself to be ready emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it takes, right, to be ready for the partner that comes your way eventually. That's why, that's what you're supposed to do in your singleness. Not cohabitate, not taste things here, not take a test drive, do all these dumb things that the world's doing. No! Bible says use your singleness to be the best person you can be in Christ. Yay! Okay, anyway. Mm. <laughs> um, this past week, um, I was doing church planting stuff, and then I was examining the couples to give them the thumbs up to do church planting, and we interviewed all these couples. This one guy's name is Ben, or whatever his name is. That's not a real name. All right. But he, he told me his story. It was really exciting, because he said when he was a single, uh, you know, he started uh, uh, hanging out with this new church in Philadelphia, just like ours. And, and he said, man, I enjoyed those times because, you know, they had to go to uh, not a place like this, but they had to go to a different place and had to set up. He said, at 6 a.m., think about this, guys. At 6 a.m., he would have to go. So, Hank, you have no excuse, okay? 6 a.m., he goes there get all the stuff with a group of two or three people, set up the whole thing, stay there all day and do a service and they do hang out and then and tear everything down. And by 6 p.m., he goes home. He says, that was the best time of my life. And anyway, I just had to throw that in there. If you don't like that part, think about Isaac. You know who Isaac is? You may know a lot of Isaacs, but I'm talking about the patriarch Isaac, the son of Abraham. Do you know what age he was when he got married? Yes, 40 years old, right? 30? No, it's about 40. But you know what he was doing during that time? Because if you are a single person in the ancient Near East, marriage, kids, is the ultimate. So by the time you could even say hi, you got betrothed and you got married, that kind of thing. Give me sons and daughters. But dude was 40 years old. He's like, in today's time, 60 years old and still not married. But you know what Isaac was doing? Yes, he was working. He was doing his thing, whatever he's doing. He looked up, ooh, there she was. <laughs> and, you know, story's over. Don't waste, so the challenges are real, I get it. I was a single myself, doing all these dumb things as well. But if someone had told me this, then, then I would say, all right, oh, the young Stephen, all right, don't waste your time to wait for the one. You can't do that, guys. Even if you're in high school right now. <laughs> Instead, use the singleness as an opportunity to give you undivided devotion to honor God with your life because, because then you'll be ready to bless another person so that you can be one. Now, finally, uh, let me end with this. And I will, this is the best part of sermon, so sorry a little long, but this is the best thing. God's vision for singleness, I'm sorry, the gospel's vision of singleness. Check this out. This is really good. I'm telling you that's good because it's going to be good. 
We, I said over and over, Jesus was single. Yes, yes, he never married. And this old dumb thing like he had things with Mary Madeline, don't listen to that garbage. Jesus was single, and he was perfectly content in his singleness. Jesus had a goal when he was single. Check this out. He was busy. If you look at his life, all right, as, as, a, young, as a, a young adult, 30, maybe 28 uh, years old, he comes on the scene. What was he doing? He was busy. He was discipling people. He was learning about the kingdom of God, teaching people about the kingdom of God. He was doing social justice. And no doubt, you know, the vision of biblical singleness, he was fulfilling it perfectly, right? And I think there would be no doubt of that. He was not only single, but he, this is how you live as a single person. And then as I'm saying this, you're, 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 contrarian mind is saying, ah, that's not fair. He was God. <laughs> he didn't have urges. <laughs> he didn't, you know, but I have ambition. I want a family. You know, when I was in my 20s, I wanted a minivan. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, I really wanted kids, okay? And it's like, I, uh, that was almost, almost like my destiny almost. I want to love someone. You know, I mean, who, what human being don't want that? So I get it, right? But the gospel's view of singleness is so powerful, okay? It overrides your desire, actually. And this is why it's so cool. But before I get to this, let me say a couple of things that might shock you. And I kind of alluded to it. You don't buy it, but let me, let me emphasize this. Those of you who are married, in the resurrection, you're going to be single again. <laughs> really? Oh, amen? In a good way. You're agreeing to the text. That's good. Those of you who are single and say, and say uh, you choose to remain single, which is honorable, and, 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 but you never get married, even if you want to, it never happened in your life. Guess what? In the resurrection, you will still be single. Oh, gosh, that, was, that didn't work. <laughs> but that's what the Bible says. Okay, it's time for some good news. The good news, which is the gospel, is that your singleness. Okay, so you live this life, you're in Christ, you die, you go to heaven. Yes. In heaven is called the resurrection. In the resurrection, did you know in your singleness there's a goal? Just like the same goal that we have while you are single on earth. And this, and what, and, and again, there's a theological teaching about singleness, and the theological teaching is that God is up to something, and God is up to something in you as well. So in the resurrection, as a single person, what is God doing? As a single person, in the resurrection, God is preparing all of you in Christ who are single to do what? To get married. Do you, do, you get, do you get what I'm saying? Marriage is the goal. It doesn't, it's actually irrelevant in this life, but in the resurrection, whether you want to get married, you never had kids, is irrelevant. I'm going to love Hyunsu to death, even after death. I'm going to love her, but she's not my bride anymore. You're single again, darling. I'll be single, okay? And we are going to... Get ready to get married to the one. Isn't that cool? And his name is Jesus. Uh, what Jesus? <laughs> uh, I'm going to read you one more um, 
quote uh, from the blog, Together for the Gospel. Again, you may not get it, but this is very important. So stick with me for one minute. This positive vision of singleness in the New Testament is explained by its place in the storyline of the Bible. That's, that's where we get all this stuff. In the Old Testament, marriage is the norm and singleness is rare. And I think we get that. In the New Testament, though, marriage remains the norm, but this is the New Testament teaching. But singleness is elevated as uniquely beneficial. Do you get this? That's why there is a theology of singleness in the Bible. Following the trajectory into the new creation, earthly marriages, check this out, earthly marriages, those of you who are married with kids and all that, it will be swallowed up into that supreme love to which human marriage points. The reason why we do weddings and do all that is not for you to live and love together forever and ever. That is, that is not true. The reason why you get married here is to point to a reality. And what is that reality? That earthly marriages exist to point forward to the ultimate union of Christ and his church. That's why we get married. That marriage is not the fulfillment of your life. It cannot be because you're going to be single again. If you don't get single in this life through divorce and death, whatever, you're going to be single in the resurrection. Jesus, and look at this. I'm going to uh, conclude Revelation 19. Yes, Jesus was single, not because he couldn't find a wife, friends, or he was just too busy doing God's work. No, 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 no. He was single in this world. You know why? To prepare himself to be the one for the bride. Isn't that beautiful? That's why he did what he did. <laughs> so Revelation 19 is, the, is your wedding day. <laughs> this is your real wedding day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's why Jesus did all this, so he could prepare himself. And so when you get resurrected, you are the beautiful bride. And I don't care if you're a guy. You're a beautiful bride. Look what, look what the end says. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride. That is you, the single people. The bride has made herself ready. You're finally ready to get married. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen, fine linen, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And that's why Jesus worked so hard to get you perfect. So at that day of resurrection, you'll be married. Woo, it's good stuff. I don't know. I can't do any better than this. I'm done. No more tears. I'm done. All right. Ooh, I've been way too long. But anyway, let me pray for you, um, and then we'll receive the benediction. Father, I thank you that this long sermon has to point to you. I thank you that you being a single is not just, oh, poor guy who just never had intimacy. I mean, how shallow is that? I do pray, Father, that you bless those who are single in our congregation, even the young people all the way up, that they would get this beautiful vision of what singleness is, and, and, and that you would, you would, it would be such a robust 
robust and compelling and delightful theology that they would get into their heart and they would live it out. And that they would prepare themselves uh, spiritually, emotionally, so they will be healthy in every way. So that if you give them the gift of marriage, that, that their marriage would just blossom and be beautiful. And, and so that their marriage could reflect what you will do to us when we meet you in heaven. Jesus, um, I pray that you you just sear that vision of singleness in our hearts and in our church. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's rise, church. I want to...